right, guys, I'd like you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 17. We're getting close to the end of our third section of John. We're looking at uh, the reality of his instruction here in 17, his prayer for his disciples as he's getting ready to go to the cross. And, and our whole purpose in this study has been to meet Jesus, to get to know Jesus and to get to understand him. And, and, and the reality is, is you will never come to a place where you think you know everything about him. It is virtually impossible to think that you have arrived spiritually. If you ever meet someone like that, turn around and walk away. I'm serious. That guy or growl is, is in a delusion. Did you understand? If they think they've arrived, uh, it's time to move away because there is no way to fully comprehend him. And your life as a believer, as long as you're here, you, one of the things is you're growing to know him before you go to be with him. And, and even then, when you go to be with him, you're going to realize, man, how much I didn't know. Did you understand? And the thing, the reality is, is we don't know much about him. And, and that's part of the struggles that we face with because a lot of Christians, a lot of believers operate under false assumptions. So let me give you one of the false assumptions that we operate under, okay? And, and it's very subtle. It's in our culture, in our North American Christianity, that somehow if I'm walking with Jesus, everything's supposed to be okay. Now, some groups take it to an extreme where you're supposed to be healthy and wealthy, but even for those of us who don't believe that type of prosperity theology, we still think that if I'm walking with Jesus, everything's supposed to be okay. But have you realized that that's not real life? And you go about your week and stuff happens. So like for me this week, I'm, I'm plugging along. I've got, I'm visiting with people and everything. I'm, I'm in a, I'm, I was in a Bible study on a Zoom Bible study on Thursday morning. And after I got done with that Bible study, I'm getting ready for my next meeting. I'm supposed to meet somebody for lunch at, at 11 o'clock in Clearfield. And while I'm at my desk, typing away, writing things down, thinking about this, that, or another, my back seized up. My lower back seized up. And I'm like, wow, that feels really good. No, I didn't. I was like, oh, my goodness, what is going on here? And, and I got up out of the seat, and I was walking around like an old guy. My neck cricked, and I'm like, I'm, I hope I don't freeze into this posture. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and it was like, what is going on? What, what did I do? First thought, what did I do, Jesus? <laughs> it's natural. We think that, right? But then you're like, I didn't do anything. Oh, I did help my daughter move over the weekend with her big library and all those books. Could that be it? But that's life. But here's the thing. Our immediate response is, well, this shouldn't be happening. This shouldn't be happening. Because I love you, Jesus. Everything's supposed to be okay, right? And so immediately we think there's something wrong. 
we have this misunderstanding, misconception of who he is. We really struggle with understanding how much he cares for us. He cares for you. Even in spite of everything going wrong. And write this down. It will go wrong. You are a human being on planet Earth. It will go wrong. That's just life. And there is no exemption from that. But he does tell you and I some things through his word that should encourage us. And especially when we get to this portion of his prayer, verses 6 through 19, we, we're really going to see his care for his disciples because verses 6 through 19 is his specific prayer for the 11. For the 11 disciples who are left. Remember, there were 12. One of them has gone off who's getting ready to betray him, which is Judas. There's 11. And he's going to pray for these 11. And, it, and, and when we look at it, we're going to see some wonderful things that you and I can rest in. Because his actions towards those 11 are no different than his actions towards you and I. Now next week, when we look at, well, the next time we come together, when we look at this passage, we're going to see his specific prayer. It always blows my mind that here he is on the night in which he's betrayed. He's praying. He's, yeah, of course he's going to pray for the 11. But he prays for you and I. But we'll look at that the next time we look at this passage. But right now, I want to talk about his care. Because I think that's so important for you and I to understand. Because that is the number one place the enemy will attack you at. Is getting you to question God's goodness to you. What do you mean it's the number one place? Well, hey, just go back. Genesis chapter 3. Hey, have some of this fruit, the serpent says to Eve. No, no, God told us not to eat of this lest we die. And, and then what happens there is, is a progression in the discussion where you begin to doubt God's goodness to you. And of course, what do they do? They ate and that set in motion everything for you and I, didn't it? So the number one attack will be you questioning God's goodness. And especially when stuff's going on around you. So let's take a look at this together. I want you to read with me verses 6 through 19. Let's read what John records from Jesus' prayer. Here's what Jesus prayed. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They are yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. Do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. 
Now, I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I've kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that, they should, that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they may be sanctified by the truth. All right, so here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to take a little bit longer passage than normal. We're going to take this passage, and we're going to divide it into two sections. We're going to see, first of all, his completed work. We're going to see what he's done. He's, again, reiterating the fact that he's done what he's supposed to do. We're just saying, it's not yet. The cross isn't there. Yeah, but he had something else to do. So he's going to talk about that. And then he's going to pray for them. And when you and I look at his prayer, specifically what he's praying for them, you're going to see his care. You're going to see, even though he's going away, they're on his mind. He cares for them. So let's look at this together. First of all, his completed work. So here's what he says in verses 6 through 7. He says this, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of this world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and, I, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things that, I, that you have given me are from you. All right, so here's what I want you to see. Jesus manifested the Father to the disciples he was given. So this was the very first thing that Jesus was supposed to do. He was supposed to make them aware of who God is. Now, when it says there that I manifested your name, it isn't that Jesus spent three years saying to them, Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. This is the name of Jesus. I mean, the name of God. What it means there is, is he revealed the totality of who God is to them. His character, who he is as a person, how he acts, what he thinks, his love, what he hates. And he's been revealing to that to them for three years. And so now he's praying, he's saying, Father, I've done what you've told me to do. I have manifested who you are to them. That helps you a little bit when you think about when Jesus says, if you pray in my name. It's not that you use the magic words, somehow we make the magic words in Jesus' name. It's that you pray in a manner that is reflective of who he is. Do you understand what I'm saying? Of who Jesus is. And so he's saying, I have manifested the Father to whom you have given me, to the disciples you've given me. Here's the second thing. 
Jesus gave them the Father's words and they believed in Jesus. Look with me at verse 8. He says this, For I have given them the words which you have given me, and they have received them from me, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. So here's the other thing. He didn't just reveal to them who God was. He revealed to them what he said, the importance of his words. Hey, that's still going on right now. Well, Jesus is not here explaining it to us. No, but he sent somebody else. Remember, I'm sending another comforter. And he will teach you all things that I have said. The reason why you and I have understanding concerning who God is and what God is saying through his word is because it's being revealed to us by who? Some sharp preacher, Bible teacher? No, by the spirit of God who speaks to our minds and our hearts. And so Jesus is saying, look, I've completed my work. I've done what you called me to do. So that's when he gets to verse 9. And so when you look at it, if you look at your Bibles, he makes a transition here. He says this, I pray for them. So he's thinking about all that he's done. He's thinking about what he's got to do right now. He's going to go to the cross, be buried, raised again. And depart, be ascended to the Father. He's going to leave them. And here's what he says. I pray for them. They're on his heart. So what does he pray for them about? Well, look with me. We're going to look at it section by section here in verses 9 through 19. Verses 9 to 10, look at what he says. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Here's what he says. He prayed for them and not the world because they belong to the Father. Now, when you read that, you're like, whoa, wait, hold, hold on a second. Isn't he getting ready to go to the cross to die for the world? Isn't he getting ready to go to the cross and pay the penalty for all the sins of the world? And here he is, he's praying, and he's, but he's saying, I'm not praying for the world, I'm praying for them. What's going on here? Because right now he's thinking about them. And they are special to him. I think we understand that, right? What do you mean, George? Well, I was thinking about this passage, and I was thinking about, you know what? I, I, I hate to say it, but I favor my kids. I think we all do, right? I don't do that, George. Well, please tell me how you do it. Because if I'm in a group of kids, if I take, and I've done this before as pastor, I've taken kids to youth groups, taken them to summer camps and stuff. And I just got a special, pop, special place in my heart for, for my four, for Maddie, Foss, Sawman, and Huds, okay? I just got a special place for them. And everybody knows that's natural, right? If I didn't, you would have to say, is there something wrong with you? Now, I'm in, I'm in, in this group of teenagers who are with me, and, and I, I like them all. I love them all. I want them all to do right. But if we're out somewhere, we're stopping at a store, and everybody's buying a snack or something, I'm buying something more for my 
kid than the other kid. Now, if the other kid didn't have anything, I would buy something for him too. But why? Because my natural inclination is, is I care for them, not for the world. And this is what's going on with Jesus. He says, I pray for them, not the world. Why? The world couldn't care less about Jesus. But you gave me these, Father, and I have kept them. They were mine because they belong to you. Did you understand what I'm saying here? So he prayed for them because they belong to the Father. That's, that's the reality of what he's saying there. So first thing I want you to understand here you are, you're going through your stuff, you're going through whatever, and you're wrestling with this mental game that you're in the midst of. Does he really care for me? I mean, I know I messed up, and, and man, this is really happening. What did I do? And, and man, do you care for me? Man, you should never ask yourself that question. Does he care for you? Why are you asking yourself that question? He cares for you. You're special to him. And you mean a lot to him. And he cares about what happens in your life. In fact, here's what it is. He prays something very specific here. And sometimes we've got to remind ourselves of this. He's doing it for the disciples. Hey, he's going to do it for you and I as well. Here it is, verse 11. Now I am no longer in the world but these are in the world. So I am no longer the world, but these, who? The 11, the disciples, they're in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Look at what he says. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. So the very thing that he's praying is, God, I'm leaving. I'm going to be with you, but you gave them to me. Keep them. Keep them. Now, what, what does that mean, keep? That means take care of them. Watch over them. Meet their needs. Do what you have to, but you keep them. Because here's what he says. Look at me at verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. So he's asking God to continue to do what he did with them while he was there. He's saying, you keep them. So here's my point I want you to see. Because Jesus is going away, he prayed that the Father would keep them. Here, I'm going to tell you something right now. Do not ever think that he has abandoned you. Never think that. Because when you think that he has abandoned you, you have done something wrong. What do you mean I've done something wrong? I'm wrestling right now. And I'm thinking he's not there because it seems like I'm in this alone and this stuff's going on. And, 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 and so when I think he's abandoned me, it's because that's how I'm feeling. No, but what you're doing is, is you're reflecting poorly on him. Because he's going to keep you. And his basis for keeping you isn't you. His basis for keeping you is Jesus and what Jesus did for you. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not based on you. It's him. Do you understand what I'm saying? Him. 
And so when I say, oh, I feel abandoned, I'm actually reflecting poorly on God. Like he somehow has diminished in what he said he would do for me. He hasn't diminished. He's there for you. So he's praying for his disciples. God, you keep them. You keep them. Here's the next one. This will blow your mind. Look at what he says. Sometimes we forget that he said this, but look at verses 13 to 15. And let's ponder a little bit about what he says here. Look at what he says. He says this. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. All right, so he's talking about, I'm coming to you. I said these things so that they, your disciples, would have their joy fulfilled in them. But here's what he says, verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Look at verse 15. If you need to, put a big star by this one. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. What's he saying there, George? Okay, you ready for this? Because I told you, sometimes we get into this thinking that I'm as a believer, everything's supposed to be wonderful and everything's supposed to be good and, and there's no difficulties. And if there's something kind of difficulty going on, it's got to be me, kid, you know, because I don't have enough faith or whatever. I'm, listen to me. You're just living in the world and the world doesn't like you and the world's a tough, hard place. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, though they will face hardship, he does not pray that they'll be kept from it. Okay, so let me tell you what I just wrote there for you. Jesus is saying, they're in the world, the world hates me, the world's going to hate them. I'm not telling you, God, to take them out of the world. I'm not telling you, God, to remove them from the pain. I'm not telling you, God, to remove them from the difficulties, from the hardship, from the persecution, from the stuff that happens. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm not telling you to remove them from that. But what I am telling you, God, is, is as they face that junk, you keep them. You keep them. That is so, when I read this this week, I thought, man, that is so, <clears throat> I don't hear things like that anymore. It's almost like the church, when I say church, I'm talking about the church in general, has lost a theology of suffering. And that is somehow we've lost the reality that stuff happens and that when I'm driving along, like I was driving along a few weeks ago with Rob and I dropped him off at a, and I pulled out of that parking lot after dropping him off, my air conditioner on that beautiful hot day died. And the mechanic says, that'll be $1,000. Now, I was looking for somebody to blame, but Rob was gone. He already left. Stuff happens. And it's not like, actually, when it happened, it wasn't, it wasn't when we were, like, maybe I was doing something wrong. We were just finishing up delivering packages for Project Grace. So we were serving Jesus. 
this stuff's not supposed to happen, is it? No, it's life, isn't it? But Jesus says, I didn't tell you to take them out of it. I said, keep them. That's where we need to rest in. We don't need to rest in, God, remove the problem. Help me. Isn't that what he said to Paul? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, there was given to me a messenger of Satan to buffet me, a thorn in the flesh. I cried out to the Lord three times, remove it from me. And God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made manifest in your weakness. He didn't take Paul's problem away. He said, my grace is sufficient. I'll give you strength in your weakness. This is the reality. That he's caring for his disciples. You would think that caring means that he's going to keep all the problems from happening to them. No, no, he's saying, God, you keep them. You keep them. You keep them. So what's going on here then? If you look with me at verse 16 and 17, he says this. Look at me, verse 16 and 17. He says this. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So here's the next thing he's praying for them. He asked the Father to sanctify them by his word, the truth. He's saying, Lord, you change them. You set them apart. That's what sanctify means, okay? Sanctify is being set apart for God. And he's saying, you set them apart to you by what? The word. So how does that happen? Hey, can I tell you something? So, you know, earlier we uh, were like, hey, Bible reading plans, do the Bible reading plans. I'm going to tell you, do the Bible reading plan. Why? You need to be in God's word. Why? Because it's in when you get in God's word that he changes you. How do you know that? God's word. Psalm 119. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Look at the next verse, verse 10. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Look now at verse 11. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's why you read the word. He changes you. Romans chapter 12, be not conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the what? The renewing of your mind. How does that happen? Through his word. And Jesus is praying, God, I'm not telling you to take them out of this world. I'm telling you to keep them. But as you're keeping them, you sanctify them in the truth. And your word is the truth. He's praying for you and I to be set apart for God. Why? Through his word. God changing you. Here he goes on, verse 18. Look with me the next part. As you have sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus asked the Father to send them into the world as he was sent into it. 
Hey, can I, can I, can I tell you something? You, you might be shocked by this, but you didn't just get saved to make sure that you are going to be okay. You got saved so that you could go out and do what Jesus did, and that's tell others about who? God. Period. Through your life, through your word, through your service, through your ministry, through being there and just putting an arm around somebody who needs an arm put around them, or maybe through a gift or whatever and helping someone, and you do it in the name of Jesus. But the fact of the matter is, he, he's doing this, he's praying, God, just like you sent me, you send them in the places where they're at. You know, I think about this all the time. Okay, so here I am, I'm George, okay? And I know what my weekly schedule is. I know where I go to, you know, so I mean, I'm, I'm at Walmart several times a week, Sheets several times a week, other places several times a week. I'm here at the office. I know where, I, but I'm going to be honest with you. So I, I meet a lot of people, but collectively, I probably have not met the people that you've met this week. And you know that. Unless by chance that we happen to have the same circles that interconnect with each other, I'm, I'm really not going to meet the same people that you meet. Well, how are they going to hear about Jesus? How are they going to see somebody who loves Jesus? It's through you, not just me. It's all of us together. And he's sending us. And so he's praying for them. Hey, here's my care. But Lord, you send them. So then he wraps it up with one final thing that he's praying for them. And I think this is what he's trying to get us to understand. Look with me at verse 19. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. What's he talking about, he sanctifies himself? I mean, because, come on, George, wait a minute. Isn't, isn't he Jesus? He's sinlessly perfect. He's never sinned. How, how does he sanctify himself? Because he, he's already set apart. I mean, what is it? No, no, he's talking about something that's getting ready to happen. Just a few hours from that point, this is in the evening. Within 24 hours, he's going to be buried. Within 24 hours, he's going to be put on a cross, hung there, and die. Not for anyone, but for us. He is sanctifying. He is setting, fire, setting apart himself as the sacrifice for you and I. And he did it. What did he say? that they may be sanctified by the truth. What? The truth of salvation. The truth of what he did for us. That you and I now would be what? Set apart as well. And when you get saved, folks, you get sanctified. Do you understand? You get set apart to God. So here's the final thing he prays. He's, he's praying that he asked God, he asked the Father to set him apart so that they will be set apart by the truth. So even there he is praying for the outcome of the sacrifice that he's getting ready to make. So that you and I, those disciples, you and I would be what? 
set apart, special, because of what he did for us. Okay. Where do we go with this, George? Well, okay, let's get back to our thinking. Because that's where it all starts, right? Let's, let's get back to the issue of what we think about Jesus. And, and the reality is, is that you should never, ever question his love for you. Because why? Did you understand what I'm saying? Like when you're getting ready to face the hammer... What do you think about? I, I've thought about that. Like if I, you know, sometimes I get into situations where, you know, maybe I'm going to be facing a confrontation or something and it's not going to be a pleasant experience. I'm going to be honest with you, maybe it's just me. I'm not thinking about other people. Man, I hope they're doing okay. I'm thinking about what's going to happen to me. What's this going to be like? Am I going to end up okay out of this or something? That's a natural human reaction. When Jesus is getting ready to face it, what is he thinking about? The ones he loves. And how they're going to do after he's gone. He cares. He cared for them. He cares for you. And he didn't promise when you came to him in salvation that life was going to be sweet and wonderful and everything's going to be okay. No, no. He just told you, I will be with you forever. My strength is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient. And he showed us through his word that he prayed for us. What? Father, keep them as I have kept them. You sanctify them by your word. You change them through the word. And that's what we need to rest in. We need to rest in the Jesus who cares for us, who loves for us. We need to rest in him. And I pray that as you go out through your week, no matter what happens, that's what you'll do. Let me pray for you.